Who am I? Who am I? We're going to decide that for Two, you four, today. Six, so one. <laughs> Welcome back to Rules is Written, ah, the D&D podcast where we ah, teach you how to play D&D rules. Today we're going to be talking about backgrounds. Yeah, and, and other things. Bit. Yeah. Yeah, the flavor of making a character. Pretty much. So there's not going to be too many rules in this, but we're going to give, give our take on it. Yeah, so we'll go through the rules as they're written and kind of demystify some of the like more nuanced stuff because there's not a lot of hard stats and numbers for these types of things. Yeah, so we're starting in chapter four on page 121. If you'd like to follow along with if us. If you'd like to follow along. We'll wait place. for you to flip the books right now. <laughs> okay, are you back with us now? <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing's first, naming your character. Yep. So, what you putting on that name? Is it gonna be an avatar, like your Steam name? Is it gonna be... <laughs> I think there's a few things to consider when naming your character. Firstly is how other players feel about the world that you're in. If you are... Yeah, how serious Yeah, it? how serious they are. Mm -hmm. If you're in a world with Xanaroth, Hargoflin, and Poonhammer 3000, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, maybe... Two of them aren't going to be happy adventuring and role-playing with Poonhammer 2000. Okay, this is... I feel personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mo most most groups will be absolutely fine with it, but I think... Yeah, check it, the mood. Yeah, it, it falls on the person who wants to do the wacky adventure mm -hmm. to kind of check. I mean, obviously, if wacky adventurers are in the majority, then that's fine. Like, you don't have to bend to the minority or anything. But ask people, get the feel of the group, the yeah. feel of the room. Ultimately, before. that's kind of just a thing that you have to feel out. And then for inspiration, the book does give examples of names for every single race. Yeah. And you can use that for inspiration if you'd like. They even have, I forget which one it is, I think it's in one of the expansions. They have extended tables of names. Name tables. From all kinds of cultures around the world in real life. That's good. Yeah, I recommend probably not just rolling a dice and then hitting a name. Like, maybe, maybe putting a little bit of thought into it. Yeah. You know. But you can still take inspiration from absolutely anything. Yeah. Your favorite shows, your favorite games, your favorite books. Just make sure that it fits the world. If yeah. People are, if people are invested in it, if people are serious People about will it. be calling you this for a long time, so consider that. Yeah. <laughs> also, kind of respect the DM if, if he's built this world that he's really in love with, some DMs. Yeah, if your name's like Kyle Sucks. Yeah, and it, it's like, really? Like, I've, I've spent all this time naming everything, and all these names mean things, and then you walk in. Hi, Kyle Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so keep keep that keep that in your head. The next thing is sex. So how sex works, it doesn't necessarily relate to how humans are with sex and gender. It doesn't say anything about your sexual orientation and stuff. Yeah, I think honestly, you can go any way with this. And yeah. especially there's more opportunity to explore some kind of different options with different races that don't carry the same baggage with gender and gender roles. Yeah, there's many with... races that are completely genderless as yeah. well. They're and they cool might have explore. different types of gender roles too. They might have gender roles that are associated with sex, but they might be different. Like, you can explore that. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cool way to... Mix it up. Try out a new way of role playing. 
Mm. Also something that's worth noting, which should obviously be expected, but I think it's worth noting, there's absolutely no rules difference between male, female, or anything else. Yeah. Uh, so everything's equal, everything's even, so don't worry about that. All of this stuff that we're about to talk to, for the most part, is just flavor. Yeah. I've played in many, many games where people swap genders and stuff. Yeah, so don't worry about it. Also, if you are going to like play a different gender, different sex, Oh, don't be like a comical Yeah, version. Th th like, don't satirize it or anything. Yeah, or really be cool. Or really go over the top. It's just not needed, really, yeah. is it? Like, yeah, yeah, just be especially cool. if you're playing in a mixed gender, mixed sex group. Yeah. Just, it, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, really. Yeah, that was our thoughts on grand politics. <laughs> I know, <laughs> Um, height and weight. Height and weight. Now this does have some rules baggage to it, in the lightest possible sense, because there are some times when a giant might not be able to fit where a gnome can fit, kind of thing. So these things will come up and your DM will probably consciously or unconsciously play into these tropes. Yeah, yeah, so like your size might matter on the extreme scales of things. Yeah. There's a table that you can consider. I. I feel like everyone just plays like, I want to be the tallest I can be. Yes, I've, I've noticed that. Everyone is six foot three. It's, it's not like ridiculously tall, but it's definitely not short. Yeah, you're the tallest person in the room by by your hair. <laughs> exactly. The weight can also come into it. If you have spells that can lift certain amounts of weights or reduce weights and stuff. So there are a combination of spells that can get a gnome into a mage hand and stuff. Yeah, so being very big or very small might come with advantages and disadvantages that you can consider. Yeah, so there is a table for this which you can roll randomly. It has a base and then a modifier. You just roll it. Lastly, there's any other physical characteristics. Your age, Eye color, color of your hair, skin, yeah. None of this has any rules baggage as you would expect. Keep yeah. it flavorful. I have played very few games where these actually come into any kind of anything at all. It yeah. really depends. It's like when you play uh, Skyrim or Fallout and you spend 10 hours creating a character and then you realize that it's them. first person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly that. So yeah, I mean, that exists. You can define it. You can be you. Yeah. Be beautiful. Or yeah. don't. I mean, it's up to you. Then you be an ugly motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we're going to talk about alignment. alignment. Now, we very briefly touched on alignment before, but it's kind of a grid, a three by three grid. And yeah, I feel is... like everybody has seen the memes. Everybody yeah. knows roughly is, what the alignment is. If you is. know anything about D&D, there's a good chance that alignment is one of the things you may know. Yeah, so we'll dive into a little bit more about the specifics of what each thing actually is. Basically, you can either be lawful or chaotic, or you can be good or evil. Yeah, or neutral. <laughs> <laughs> or you can be true neutral. It, it's a kind of sliding scale. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with this. Yeah, it's a good, like, easy dartboard to throw something at and then decide, like, what's your general scape of things. Yeah, remember, this game is a game you're playing with other players. Nobody likes the chaotic, evil guy in the party ruining things and stopping the party getting anything done for his own amusement. Like, yeah, I mean, typically you're probably not going to be playing evil characters. I've heard, like, 
stories on Reddit, at least, of people trying to play evil campaigns. Some of them work out, but they usually have to have special ways of doing that. Evil campaigns are... You, you've got to be with a good group, because... I've had some evil campaigns where they've started doing things. I'm just like, I'm not running this anymore. Like, this is getting. Weird. I don't want. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, like, what am I? I'm trying to describe this. Like, <laughs> a circumference of someone's anus. Like, come on. <laughs> so you're probably going to end up on the good or neutral side of the spectrum. Yeah, most of the parties that I've played with fit more in the chaotic good. I think that is actually naturally where a lot of players end up because. The way the campaign is built, you can't really be evil because you're fighting evil in nearly every D&D campaign. And it's not a real world, and people like to live the power fantasy, which often ends up being chaotic and stuff. Yeah, well, let's quickly go through these so we're, like, clear on what these are. So, lawful is you follow a set of rules. Yeah, and these rules are... Something that come from an institution, it could come from a power greater than yourself, it could come from your traditions or a code, something yeah, that's really something apart. that is a bit external. Yeah, something that you fit into as a part of a whole. Yeah, it's something that you are choosing to be a part of, not necessarily yeah. forcing things to be your view of things. Yeah. On the flip side to that, you have chaotic. So if lawful is following pressures from without, chaotic is following from within. Yeah, so your set of guiding principles and whatever, this all comes from yourself. Yeah, not from a society, not from a god so much. But if they happen to align, cool, that's good. But yeah. at the end of the day, you always follow yourself. Yeah, and this can be in stark contrast to institutions. It could be like, you could straight up defy gods being like, I don't think you're right yeah. because I know what's right and that's what matters. Yeah, exactly. So chaotic good is quite an interesting one because you it means you do have everyone's best interests at heart, genuinely. Yeah, you have your own set of moral principles. They're just yours. And I would also say try not to twist this. I've played with some people who try and do a chaotic good paladin or something, and they really twist like what is good with the excuse of, oh, I believe it's good. Right, lawyering it, clearly... it to be... Yeah, I mean, go with the spirit of it, really. Yeah. Between these is neutral, which is essentially pragmatic. Yep. You take what you can get. If it, that so happens that you're following a society, a god, a law, cool. If it means you have to defy them, cool. Yeah, right. Like, you're doing what's in your best interest most of the time. You're trying to, like, not be too strong in any direction yeah it doesn't mean you're being selfish so much it's not like oh i am number one you still maybe want to help people and stuff you're Just still within reason everything yeah, is within yeah. reason it's all within reason it's all a bit reserved yeah sandwiching these is good and evil it's pretty self-explanatory <laughs> <laughs> good, good is blue the... and evil is red <laughs> <laughs> good in the themes of your campaign so this is campaign dependent. Yeah. So some examples of like good creatures can be certain dragons, like gold dragons. Yeah, all the metallic dragons tend to be good, even if they're chaotic good. Elves. Evil creatures, fiends, aberrations, most things you fight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much anything yeah. you hit. I think it's very important to talk about all of this in the context that these are guidelines. Mm -hmm. I do not think it's a great idea to just choose an alignment and stick with it rigidly. 
Yeah, I think it's easier in terms of like this probably more useful for DMs when they're doing character and world building for things. Yes. Yeah. Right. This is why I said I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with it because it tends to push people to the extremes. Yeah. Like if they choose lawful evil, then they are evil, but mm. lawful. Yeah. And like, it, like there's no gray area and that's what they are. And I, th I think the alignment chart can take away from creativity in that aspect. Yeah, if it puts you into like a rigid box, I think none of these are intended for that. And if you are finding yourself in a way where it's like, I'm incapable of growth or change or adaptation in different situations, then uh, play a video game, you know, like... <laughs> yeah, D&D's number one for you. Yeah. <laughs> so really take these as guidelines. Yeah, I think that they can be powerful in that, like, it's a good reference point. It helps you determine kind of, like, what's the world that you're in and kind of, like, how do these people that you interact with, how can you expect them to view the world and things? Yeah, and I think there's a lot more room for freedom in them than people may first think with things like the evil. You can be lawful evil and still be part of a party. You don't have to be Dracula with the cape and the lightning behind you going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you can just be working towards a higher power that is contrary to the good in the world. Yeah. And maybe a sort of selfish way, but you need to work with the party. That also doesn't necessarily mean that you are a dick to everyone. Just because you're evil, doesn't mean you can't have friends and family and loves. You can do evil things for. Yeah, some of my best friends are evil. It's it's like Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> you are a bad guy, but that does not mean you are bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> what scene was that in Wreck-It Ralph? I don't remember. You know, it's when um, the devil is talking to Zangief or something from Street oh, Fighter. Oh, oh, like, oh, You are a bad guy, but oh. that does not mean you are bad guy. <laughs> yeah, take some advice from Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. yeah, that's the alignment. There's many ways to spin this. Don't rely on it too heavily. You can use any of these in your character building efforts, but always make sure that the party takes precedence, that playing with the group of people that you're currently with is paramount. Yeah, your goal should always be to make sure everyone has fun, no matter who you are in the party. If everyone has that same goal, then you're gonna have four or five people looking out for your fun. Yeah, blasty it, blast. It, it's going to be great. Yeah. So don't live the evil fancy power trip. Yeah. It's just going to suck in the long run. Promise. Next is languages. Now... Less spicy topic. Yeah, there's not too <laughs> much to say about languages. Yeah. Um, you have them, you speak them, you can learn them. We've touched on them in many different ways. Yep, when we're doing character building. So... Um, typically, there's standard languages and exotic languages, speaking and script. Mm -hmm. So the standard languages will be things like common and elvish and dwarvish, right? Yeah. Stuff you've heard of before. They all use one of three scripts. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, Something they all use know. common, dwarvish, or elvish. Yeah. Most of them use dwarvish, actually. Yeah, of the common, yeah. So the script is just like the letters. It doesn't mean that they can read the same things. Yeah, it's, it's just like the Latin alphabet doesn't mean you can read... German and English if you don't speak German. Yeah. And then exotic languages, they're things that sound crazy, like abyssal and draconic, deep speech. It's quite hard to bring languages in a meaningful way into the game. Yeah. Like, also, one thing that I'm just noticing now is that deep speech doesn't have a script. Yeah. You can't it write it. only in the mind. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I feel languages often get relegated to, here's a note, it's in a language. 
find someone Can who speaks read the it? language. Yeah. yeah. Very kind of binary decisions. Yeah. We've been very lucky because we had a very multicultural group. And you can, if you plan it from the start, everyone can speak different languages and assign those languages to real world languages. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much you can apply this as a principle in your campaigns. Yeah, but... <laughs> I, I imagine there is a golden group somewhere who, of polygots <laughs> who all know the perfect amount of languages. Right, and you've never thought of this before, yeah. so let us be the one to tell you. <laughs> it would be... But, but you can use it even if it's just one or two languages. If it just aligns with one or two. Maybe two people are friends like exchange students from Korea, they both speak Korean. Maybe when they're building the character, suggest that they be the only ones who can speak Dwarvish. So yeah, using real world parallels to make it like more in terms of your role playability and stuff like that can be super fun. Yeah, if you're playing this game, you're playing with friends, you probably share a language, otherwise it's gonna be very difficult to play in. <laughs> and also if you have people from other countries, other areas, or maybe you're just really keen on that Duolingo, like, yeah. like you got the premium account and you're really excited about it, like, let's let's put it into the game, baby, let's... <laughs> it's, it's a good time, it's a really good time. We've had people use Turkish, Chinese, Swedish, Russian, all in our groups to mean different languages. Yeah, and for the most part, no one else spoke their <laughs> language. <laughs> so we'll just have to take their word for what they say. Way to ruin it. <laughs> The last thing we're gonna touch on is the personal characteristics. Now, these are personality traits. They come in three flavors in the book. Ideals, bonds, and flaws. I think these are another double-edged sword. Yeah, it's they, good to think about, but... They suffer the same problems as an alignment. Yeah. If people decide so... their flaw is fire, then I've had people like scream every time a torch is lit or something. Yeah, like, I think even if even though you're meant to be sneaking and they're like, oh, but I'm afraid of fire. I have to scream. Yeah, like you, you're just completely constrained by this. Um, I think that we've touched on this before, actually. And we always have kind of the same advice where it's like, this is a good thing to like kind of think about and then have because flaws can make for a fun character. Flaws are really important to yeah. any character. If everyone's perfect, then it's very hard to get any character development. Yeah, and they can be minor things, you can have multiple, they can be major things. Um, and I think the only caveat that I would put is like when you were saying with the fire thing where you can't possibly touch fire, right? It's like, make it something that you can reasonably either work around throughout the campaign so that your flaw doesn't interfere too much with the party's actual goals, or make it something that's a growth point that you can grow and yeah, change you can move and learn from. Yeah. I think the worst example we had of this was we had a guy who was scared of snakes in game and anytime he saw a snake his character would hit the deck and freeze and play dead for in-game hours. <laughs> doesn't matter what is happening. How often did snakes come up in your well, campaign? Uh, I mean it was, it was an Norse Indiana campaign. Jones. It was a Norse <laughs> campaign. So at some point, the world ending snake came up. Uh, okay. And it was a big boss fight. The Jormungundr. Yeah, and he just laid there for the boss fight and refused to do anything. I applaud his commitment to the role. I cannot deny him that. <laughs> but it, it was just so like, come on. <laughs> like, like, we need you. You're an integral part of the team. And it was only three, four people in that campaign. So it was losing was quite... a quarter to a third of the party. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was a bit silly. It's okay to have a really 
big flaw to just as long as like if you're going to make something that affects you this much there needs to be avenues and ways around it as well that you can either communicate with the dm or the party that has like some way to work around you need to be able to reasonably put yourself in your party shoes and understand how do you work yeah, with this i mean the Snake had come up before, the fear of snakes had come up before, they were also in a party with a necromancer, so snaky stuff came up anyway. Mm -hmm. And it could have been a real growth moment. He could have been like, this is the world-eating snake, like the ultimate fear, and this could be a beautiful moment where he like steals himself and fights on anyway. And if he wanted to play that role, I could give him a disadvantage or something else, or like, I'm definitely open to like leaning into these kind of things. It's fantastic when people do that. It's really cool when people acknowledge they have a flaw and they say, maybe I should get disadvantaged for this or maybe this should happen. That's fantastic, I love it. It means people really care about the story and their character. Mm -hmm. But instead he laid on the floor. <laughs> yeah, like what does that contribute to? Yeah, nothing. So that's, that's flaws. <laughs> <laughs> what are some examples of the books it gives us actually? They're all tied to different backgrounds. You roll off of them. For example, a criminal's flaw could be, when I see something valuable, I can't think of anything else but how to steal it. If there's a plan, I'll forget it. If I don't forget it, I'll ignore it. <laughs> Way to be annoying. <laughs> Pick better flaws. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can also use those, again, as reference points, just as long as, in the end, you're thinking about how this can be something that contributes to the game and I think if you're playing a long if you're playing a long campaign that's going to be a few months at least IRL then you should not be picking the book flaws you should be fleshing them out yeah. maybe, maybe if you're really stuck and you need some inspiration or whatever I'd like use them by all means but the ones in the book are quite two dimensional yeah and honestly I mean I think you can take any of these flaws and then work cuz it's all about the implementation in my mind I mean you can take like a flaw that's pretty two dimensional and then you add to it until it's something that you can work with, something mm. that doesn't always happen always, something that isn't negatively impacting the story and the party, and then something that you can either grow or change from. Yeah. The other thing is bonds. Now, bonds are just really your connections to the world. It can be other players, it can be NPCs, it can be places, it can be things, things that might motivate you to fight or reasons for your goals. I think this is probably the one that you'll have to spend the most time actually talking with your DM about. Yeah, in because terms you of really want to integrate it into the world. Yeah, everything else until we get to backgrounds, which we'll do later, can be something you just think of on your own time and that's fine. Yeah, think about it before, like after session zero or have some ideas before session zero. Yeah, that's fine. I think it it's really just something like bonds and backgrounds are probably the only things that you should really talk to your DM about. Yeah. To make something that, because you can work on something that exists in the real world that you can interact with that might contribute to a story. That might change how the DM actually crafts this world for you as well. Yeah, if you are a DM listening to this, you should definitely be willing to change your world for the players because they're going to be in it. They're yeah, be in it. You're obviously within reason, with right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't be completely married to your world and demand that it's perfect, nothing can change. <laughs> like, be open to it. Yeah, and if if a player comes up with like a radical, I mean, especially if you're playing with new players, they're not sure like what are the boundaries of this, and yeah. they come to you with like something crazy, you don't have to straight up shut them down. I mean, work with them and try to get what they really want and then see if there's like a way that you can make some version of that come true. Yeah. 
And the last one is ideals. This kind of falls back to alignment, but a bit more. What's your big motivating yeah, factor? Yeah, why are you doing this? Yeah, I think that's a good thing to work on as well, right? And that's something that I think is probably better to be, here's a hot take. I think ideals are better developed in game than they I are. I was just about to say that, yeah. The, the amount of time someone has come up with, with a backstory and then that backstory has gone completely ignored, even if I've like facilitated it and led clues there because they live a backstory in yeah. the first few sessions and they just become so attached to it. There was the umbrella thief. In the first session we did for one of our campaigns, there was an umbrella thief who was stealing and it was just a throwaway joke. And that became the focus of four sessions. Yeah. Uh, like a we year will not later. Rest <laughs> until we discover. Yeah, because that was the that was the first session. It was designed to be just kind of like a, oh, this is just a thing that exists in this yeah, world to it, make it, it silly. Yeah, it was just a quest I was giving. Find the umbrella thief, or do this, or do that, while a dragon is going to attack. That was going to happen. So choose any of these quests. Halfway through whatever quest, a dragon will attack. But they wrote down that Umbrella Thief, and every time there was a pause in the story, they were like, well, we could go try and find that Umbrella Thief. Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> hitting up these towns unchecked. <laughs> yeah, all of the original police are dead. <laughs> it became this huge thing, and it became this real... There was another captain who tried to kill them who had a boat full of monkeys. One of them ended up... Uh, marrying a guy who was kidnapped by it. They basically lived their backstory and any backstory they had before that became almost forgotten apart from the fact that you all came from the same mercenary company. That's yeah, really it. that like you take a Cliff Notes version of it and you don't necessarily know what will be important and what won't be in your campaign. As a player, you have to be okay with letting a lot of your backstory go and yeah. just decide, like, making very judicious decisions on what is worth it. It can also be a bit heavy for a DM if you come with them with mountains of backstory and they now yeah. have to work and they're juggling four people with these huge backstories. It's great and I feel bad saying it because you've put a lot of work into your backstory and I definitely want to facilitate it and have it all work out. But when people come with, like, five A4 pages. Yeah, this is all like, work, right? Yeah. Like this it, is something now, that... Now you are passing that onto your DM. You are making extra work for the DM. And I mean, that's what DMs sign on for. They should be ready for that work. But again, there is a reasonable amount. Like if your DM has a job working long hours and he adds this, he's doing all this for you. Every hour you're playing in D&D, &D, he's putting up to an extra hour or in. She. Or she putting an extra hour in before the session. Yeah, so all this to say that like there is an amount that can be done before a game, but in our experience, in our humble experience, we think that most of the valuable stuff is gained in session, not before. Yeah, because that, like, you have an emotional connection to it, you lived it. Yeah, so what's an example of like an ideal that would be something you can reasonably attain during a campaign? You should probably come to the session with a general idea of what your characters be, why they're fighting, like their religion, like they they want law and order in the world, or they want to save a place. This can tie back to your bonds as well, mm -hmm. but it'll be fleshed out majorly. And you'll often find that how you play as a player naturally is contradictory to your ideals. 
as a character. Mm. So leaving that open to be explored and maybe shifting your ideals and honing them in in game is probably the best way to start this. Yeah, things will happen to you and you can always have it in your mind that this could be something that motivates you as a character. Maybe this thing wasn't a small thing. This is something that you can take with you through the rest of the campaign and mm. grow and change from. So that is personality. Yep. So message us. <laughs> yeah, message me. Message us. Toby at rulesreadingshow.com. And make sure you rate us on Apple Podcasts. That helps a lot. You can help us out on Patreon, all that good stuff. But until next time, we love you. Stay safe. Later. Bye. Yeah, NPCs are usually lawful good. Not like a Wait, complex start. person. Start again. Oh my god, it's one hair and it keeps tickling. Ow. <laughs> I'm gonna put this in the bin. <laughs> Chris, Toby just picked out a nose hair on live podcast recording. It's getting deleted! <laughs>